So we're going to look uh, this morning at Jesus' instruction on the Sermon on the Mount uh, uh, at how to pray. Uh, we could have taken, you know, the next six or seven weeks to work our way through the Lord's Prayer, but um, I don't want to do that because uh, what I want you to hear today about the Lord's Prayer and what Jesus is, says about prayer is that uh, um, I, I want it to be as simple as possible because that seems to me to be the thing that, that he is getting at here is that prayer actually is quite simple. And so uh, in light of that, uh, we're, we're going to take this as a whole section, which I think is probably a more faithful way to do it anyway. Um, uh, but before I do that, I want to pray. And um, I thought it was uh, really uh, excellent to hear Elder Paul Howe pray this morning. Uh, and I heard an actual physical response from the congregation when he mentioned praying about scorpions. Right? Now, you may think, well, you know, scorpions aren't a big deal, right? You know, in, in, in the scope of things, you know, we were praying for our missionary friend to have access to hospitals and confidence in the gospel and those things, and those are big things, and maybe you might be tempted to think, well, scorpions are a little thing. Well, they are a little thing until they're in your shoe when you get up in the morning, because that's where they like to go. Did you know that? You'll never put your shoes on the same way same way again. And, you know, with climate change, who knows, maybe we'll be able to have more scorpions in Virginia. So, reason for us to wear sandals and flip-flops, right? So, the, um, so, so the fact is, as, as we think about that, that that's really a, a great illustration for us and a great thing to instruct us about as uh, we think today about our praying, right? So in light of that, let me pray, and then I'll read the text. Father, we come to you today thanking you that uh, you hear us when we pray. But not only, Lord, do you, do you hear us, you delight to hear us. Uh, it warms you and moves you to hear your dear children cry out to you. And so I pray for us today that we would believe that first of all, and second of all, that it would uh, uh, enhance, increase, and encourage uh, our turning to you. Lord, would you uh, do that today uh, by your Spirit to take the truth that your dear Son Jesus taught uh, and that it would move and reorient our praying today. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So Matthew 6, verses 5 through 15, the text is in the bulletin also up on the screens behind me. This is God's word. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. 
And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For, but it, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So as we think about this today, it's important for us to um, focus our attention on a couple of things. So before we go any further, let me just stipulate a couple of things that are true, absolutely true, about everyone that's in here. First of all, you don't pray enough, okay? We can all agree on that. You don't pray enough, all right? Uh, uh, secondly, you don't pray uh, well enough, okay? None of us do. I don't pray enough, and I don't pray well enough. And then thirdly, um, we uh, tend to view prayer uh, as a discipline uh, and less than a communion. So those three things are probably uh, uh, true of all of us, right? And so, so the fact is, you know, let's begin with uh, an understanding of the way this works, right? If, if your first thought as you come to prayer, as you think about prayer this morning, is I don't pray enough, I'm a, not a very good prayer, then you will be tempted to think that way, to, to be moved in that way, to think that your father who delights in you, is not ready to receive you. That somehow or other he must be put upon, because of your poor praying, uh, uh, to listen to you. And nothing could be further from the truth. And so that's, that's the place that we need to begin this morning, right, is... That the, the fact of the matter is we are not as good a prayers as we should be, and we tend to uh, struggle with that. And at the same time, even as we say that and even as we do that, the, the fact of the matter is if that becomes the focus of our attention, if that becomes the focus of the way we think about ourselves, we will tend to, uh, uh, just as Jesus warns here in this text, to be so self-conscious about our praying uh, that it becomes something other than the prayer that he desires. So as we look at this this morning, let's, let's recognize that first and foremost. And, and, and the second thing to, to recognize about that as well is, Jesus repeatedly says in this part of uh, the Sermon on the Mount, refers to God as our Father, your Father. And I want to say something about that at the very beginning, because that is kind of the ground underneath our feet. That is the very basis where, whereby we, we come at this, and that is the first thing we should think as we think about prayer. That as we uh, enter into prayers, we enter into a time of communion, we are not entering into a time of communion with a disinterested or uh, even uh, judging uh, entity. We are coming to our Father. Now, I know when I say that you are coming to your father, for many of you, you think about that and you think, you know, my dad was not that great. Um, but let me just say and be very clear about this is that the, 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 the fact is, uh, you know that your father was not that great because you have an idea of ideal fatherhood. You have an idea of what a great father is. We, you, you carry around with you an imprint on you of what what somebody who is a great dad would be. And what Jesus is saying to us today is that our heavenly father 
is greater than what we could ever dream or imagine. And because of that, his emphasis in this section of the Sermon on the Mount is to keep turning us more and more to see this God that we're talking about, this God that we're serving, this God that we belong to is our Heavenly Father. And as such, he is the ideal and more of what that means. And we can entrust ourselves to him, we can look to him, and we can lay our hearts, our cares, our concerns, our needs, even those things we are not aware of, he sees and he knows, and we can trust him. So that's, that's where we need to start this morning. Before we go anywhere else with this, before we get into any kind of details, before we get into any kind of, here's an easy way to pray, or any of that kind of stuff, let's just establish that. Because that is, the, that is the, the foundation for what we are talking about. We have access to our Father in heaven because our older brother, Jesus Christ, lived, died, and rose again so that our sins would be atoned for, so that our prayerlessness would be atoned for, and so that we have full access to our Father in heaven. That's where we begin. That's where we start. And that's, that's, that's really where Jesus wants us to, to begin this morning. Now, uh, uh, Luca, you can go ahead and put my, my, my notes up there. So the, so the thing that we, we, the other thing that you have to see about this in the context of what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount is he is addressing these pillars of piety. Last week, he talked about giving to the poor. And remember we said, you give to the poor, it's not, a, it's not an option for Christians. He doesn't say if you give to the poor. He says, he says when you give to the poor. He's assuming that his people will give to the poor, and they will do it in such a way that they draw no attention to themselves. They're not self-conscious or other conscious in the way in which they are generous. The same thing is going to be true about praying. What Jesus wants us to, to see here as we uh, get at this is his assumption is, is that his people will pray. His assumption is, is that because we belong to him, his assumption is that because we are needy, because we are broken, because we are finite, uh, because we are sinners, we will pray. And he's right about that, right? Because insofar as we come to recognize our neediness, there's a, there's a relationship between coming to grips with our neediness and our quickness, our uh, uh, propensity to turn to God quickly and cry out to him, Father, help us, right? Help me. Be gracious to me. So uh, it's, it, it's important for us to kind of begin uh, to, to, to recognize that what Jesus is getting at here is his expectation is that we will pray, and we do. Even if your prayer is only the, you know, the kind of uh, uh, the prayer that you get when you get in trouble or you're suddenly feeling some sort of deficit and then it drives you to pray, that's still praying, right? And so when we do this, when we are about the business of praying, how are we supposed to do it, right? Now, one of the things that I think is profound about anybody's life, and I, this is one of the things that you notice when you get a little age on you, a little wear and tear, is that you come to grips with the fact that uh, you, you think about, uh, because there's more life behind me than in front of me, okay? Uh, that, you know, 62 is not middle age. I'm not going to make it to 124, Okay? <laughs> And I honestly, I kind of hope I don't, right? I mean, 
what is Steve going to be like at 124? Not, not great, I'm sure, right? So, um, so the fact is, you, as you realize that, one of the things that you do is you look back over your life and think, man, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I didn't do that. I can't believe I didn't say that, right? So one of the great gifts that you have as you, as you age is you have plenty of opportunities to embrace grace in ways that you didn't as a younger person because you're much more sensitized to your failures as a husband, as a father, as a friend, as an employee, as an employer, right? It's great getting old. And so... Uh, one of the things that you think about that is, you know, if I could have done things differently, how would I have done them? Are there things that I would have done that I didn't, didn't do? Are there things that uh, I, I, you know, you just think about that. So recently, I, I, you know, a, a, a dear friend and dear colleague, uh, Tim Keller, uh, gave an, uh, um, an interview to World Magazine. And it's, it's a great interview. If you have time to, to read it, sometimes you should. You can access it online. Uh, but one of the questions, I mean, he's, you know, is, he's sick and, uh, um, one of his, and fighting cancer. And so one of the questions that the interviewer asked him is, looking back, is there anything you should have done differently? And he does not hesitate. He says, absolutely, I should have prayed more. Right? Now, why is that? You know, I'm, uh, probably, you know, at, at least in my humble opinion, you know, there's nobody who's been more impactful uh, for the sake of, you know, Christian apologetics and for the truth of the gospel in the last 25 or 30 years in this country, maybe in the world, than him. And so when he looks back and he has any regrets, he just, he's not thinking about strategic errors he made in church planting or strategic errors he made in the books that he's written or the sermons that he's preached. He's simply recognizing the truth that he wished he prayed more. And you know what? I think God is delighted in that perspective. I don't think God stands back from that and says, yeah, Tim, you should have prayed more, and I'm not that interested in listening to you now. Does it work like that? No. No, the fact of the matter is, I think what happens to you as you mature a little bit, as you recognize, you know, I'm not as powerful as I think I am. I'm not as strong as I think I am. I'm not as good as I think I am. I'm not as together as I think I am. I'm not as smart as I think I am. I'm not as confident as I think I am. And I am a bigger sinner than I ever dreamed possible. And so as I look over my life and I think about all the self-sufficiencies and the self-dependencies that I have rather than father dependencies, I regret that. But the great news about that is uh, the, the, the fact is that doesn't drive our father away from us. It doesn't drive him away. It doesn't make him think, oh, you know, you're an unworthy prayer, so I will not listen or respond to your prayers. And that's the great thing that we have to, to see about and the thing that we have to rest our hearts and our minds in today. And that's what Jesus wants us to see. Now, uh, next slide, please, Luke. The, the thing um, that Jesus is going to say to us today and the thing that I want you to carry away from this is three things 
that uh, this text tells us about praying and about our Father and how he deals with that. First of all, this may seem, uh, this may seem a little pedantic, but I want to be clear about this, that what Jesus is saying here is that when you pray, pray to your Father, not to the people around you. Now, that, that may sound a little weird. That may sound a little strange. Uh, but I can, I can tell you and I can uh, assure you that those of us who pray publicly and pray with other people are tempted to pray to other people all the time. Uh, it, was, it was great this, this morning when I was talking about this at the early service, I, I mentioned that, you know, one of the things that I love that, to get is an amen. I mean, you know, uh, and, and it, is, it is so awesome to be praying and to have somebody who's praying with you say amen to that. I love it. It's a great thing. And you know what? I can feed my flesh with that because I can think, oh, in fact, as soon as I said that, Meredith Elder sitting on the second row said, amen. And I'm like, I'm on a roll. <laughs> I'm going to say more of that to get me some more amens. I'm not praying to God anymore. I'm praying to Meredith over there so that he'll be like, yeah, go for it, go for it. Everybody loves that, right? So, so the fact is, you know, Jesus understands that about us, and he understood that about the culture where uh, he, was, he was teaching, that the, the tendency for us is, is to make ourselves impressive by our prayers, and, and to understand that when we are doing this publicly, you know, that somehow or other, people will get caught up in that and think, oh, look at the piety. Look at that. That's just awesome. So he wants us to be aware of that so that we are actually, when we turn our hearts to our Father in heaven, we're actually turning our hearts to our Father in heaven without any kind of self-conscious or other awareness about other people, about how we're being perceived or how things are going or, or any of that stuff, that we are simply uh, looking to our Father in heaven and as his children, we are laying our hearts and our concerns before him. But secondly, there's another thing to note about this is that you pray to your father. You know, Jesus says that you go to the secret place. You go into your room and you shut the door and you pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. One of the things that you have to be careful about that, and one of the things that we need to be aware of is that when we go to our secret place and we recognize that our, our father is in there uh, 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 in, in the secret place, hearing us and seeing us, that we are careful to do that, not to say, I hope everyone recognizes that I'm in my secret place. Or I feel really good about myself today because, Steve, you, you, you're doing it, man. You are in the secret place, right? So, so again, that our awareness about that and our propensity to pride or some kind of fleshly kind of thing there gets fed by the fact, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. This is awesome, Right? rather than simply seeing it as, as an opportunity for us to turn our hearts to our Father who's already there, who's in the secret place, who already sees, who already knows this about us, and who, who, who knows us inside and out, and actually knows what we're going to say before we even say it, and is delighted that we're saying it, right? 
The other thing uh, to note about this is, is that Jesus wants us to be transparent. Now, where, where, does, where does that come from? It's like this. He says, you know, just simply say what's on your heart because your Father knows what you need before you say it. That is such a powerful thing for us to, to rest our hearts in today as we, as we think about this. You know, the, the tendency for us to think about uh, praying is that it is a means to get something, right? And Jesus does say, you know, there is, there is a reward at this, that, that we pray so that God will give us the things that we, uh, that, that, that we want, the things that we need. But the fact is, the thing that we need is communion with our Father. The thing that we want may be a million other things, but the, 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 the thing that happens to us, you know, we, we tend to think about praying as gaining, but in fact, maybe you're gaining in praying by losing some things. Maybe you're losing some anxiety. Maybe you're losing some self-consciousness. Maybe, maybe you're losing some fear, right? So that, so that the thing that we're getting is a deeper and abiding sense of who our Father is. I've mentioned this uh, before, but I think one of the, the most delightful things about being a grandparent is you learn so much more about parenting as a grandparent than you did as a parent. It's really true. Uh, I watch my, my son uh, interact with his son, and uh, first of all, you know, uh, I'm not, it doesn't seem so existential to me like it did when, when my kids were little. You know, when my kids threw a fit, threw a temper tantrum, or embarrassed me publicly, which they never did, but the very possibility that they could do that or that I could embarrass them publicly or, or any of those sorts of things, you know, seemed like an existential struggle. Like, if I don't get this right, you know, life's going to end. This, it's not going to be worth living. You know, this is, everyone's going to judge me. I'm going to judge me. God's going to judge me. Worse yet, my kid's going to judge me. Judge, judge, judge. This is terrible, right? And so as a grandparent, you're like, you love both of them. And you're like watching them fight it out, you know, have this conflict. And you're like, this, this is just awesome. So, so uh, my son, who is a better dad than I have ever been or will ever be, uh, he, he was over yesterday with my grandson. And my grandson has this thing when he comes to our house that he has to go up to our attic. It's not that great up there. It's full of everybody else's stuff. And uh, there's just some random things up there that really aren't toys, that really aren't for him. Uh, but he loves to go up there. And I think the reason why he loves to go up there is because it's a little transgressive. You know, it's, it's, it's a little bit like maybe I'm not supposed to be here. So, of course, you know, that's the place to be. And because he doesn't really do anything up there, he just kind of looks at his uncle's stuff and his aunt's stuff, and there's just random stuff all over the place up there, you know. So, so we're up there, and uh, he sees a battery, a double-A battery, which is too colorful and too attractive and looks too much like a toy to a three-year-old. So he wants that battery. Well, 
His dad's not going to let him have the battery, so we redirect him, take him downstairs. Well, we take him downstairs. That lasts for about three minutes, and he comes up to me, grabs me by my thumb, which is his way of telling me it's time to go, and he leads me back to the attic straight to the battery. Now, his dad has told him, you can't have the battery. I would have let him have the battery, but... My thought was, I'll let you have the battery. Before you judge me, I'll let you have the battery. I'm just not going to let you put it in your mouth. But they didn't want him to touch the battery. So I let him get the battery. We came downstairs, and I filled his hands full of trucks. And as he was trying to gather all the trucks, he set the battery down. I got the battery, gave it to his dad, and said, put this away so he can't see it. So my grandson's smart enough to know, wait, there was a battery. (laughs) Where did it go? Where is it? One of y'all has it. I need to get this battery. And he just comes unglued, screaming, kicking, throwing. It's awesome. Such passion, you know. So, so he hadn't had a nap, and it's just, you know, it's on. This is really great. So my son, who I'm like, what's he going to do? How's he going to handle this? He picks him up, puts him on his shoulders, walks out of the house. And I don't know where they went. I go looking for him. I can't find him. 20 minutes later, he comes back in. My grandson's still on his shoulders, slumped over, drooling on the top of his head, asleep. He didn't get the battery, but he got something better. He got the love and attention of his father. He got a place to rest. He got a place to know He's loved and cared for and safe. Your father knows what you need before you ask. Your father knows you inside and out and knows what is best and therefore can be trusted to love you with how he handles your need. We can rest in that. We can be assured of that. And so when we pray, we have the freedom to say, Father, this is what is on my mind and my heart. And though our prayers are fraught with all sorts of garbage, Jesus' prayers for us are perfect. And we trust him and we trust our Father to sort out the crazy things, the crazy desires, the crazy wants, and the needs that we have. So we can be transparent. Secondly, be simple. You know, one of the things that is, is great about the, uh, the Lord's Prayer is uh, Jesus says that we pray, give us this day our daily bread. Now, you and I hear that, uh, that prayer as, you know, as a global kind of thing of like, Jesus, meet our needs. Well, the, the fact, and, 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 you know, what you think your need is might be huge. What Jesus is actually saying in that prayer, and the way that the clearest translation of that is, give me enough food to eat today. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> you know, that, give me enough food so that I can have something to eat today. There's nothing in there about 401ks. There's nothing in there about the stock market. There's nothing in there about uh, the relative value of money. There's nothing in there about inflation. There's nothing in there about portfolios. It's simply the simple reality of that when we come to our Father, we feed us today. We give us enough so that we can live, right? 
And so, so the fact of the matter is it is a great place for us to simply recognize that we are needy, finite, and that even our own basic need of food is something that we go to our Father uh, and, and trust that He will provide what is needed for us every day, just simply to live and to be His people. And then lastly, why pray if your Father already knows what you need? Well, the reason why we pray if He already knows what, what we need is because He wants us to. It's that simple. It, it, there's, there's nothing... You know, there, there's, there's, there's nothing magical. There's no formula or anything like that. God, our Father, simply loves to hear from His children. He loves the, the, those moments in secret where His beloved children, His beloved sons, His beloved daughters are in communion with Him. It is dear to him because you are dear to him because of what Christ has done for you. And so we have this assurance and we have this place where we can know that, we, that he already knows, that he's already set in motion addressing our hearts and our concerns. And we can, we can lay all of those things before him because he delights in hearing from his children. That's a great thing for us. That, you know, that, and that is the thing that you have to see about what Jesus is getting at here when he tells us to pray, is that we come to a Father whose arms are open wide. And you know, it's great for us to come to the Lord's table today because we come to a Father whose house, whose doors are open, whose arms are open, whose table is open before us. Hear these words of N. 